Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers draft legislation to clarify the definition of hazing and stipulates penalties for institutions failing to report violations. Then restoration of power across the state is nearly complete following last week's generational winter storm. We hear from Entergy Mississippi on the storm's impact and the recovery process. Plus, the William Winter Institute continues its pursuit for racial reconciliation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislators in the Mississippi House of Representatives are tackling the issue of hazing. Two bills on the matter, drafted and approved by members of the House, are now headed to the Senate. House Bill 6 requires the Mississippi College Board create a uniform hazing policy for all universities. The bill defines hazing as any reckless act that causes physical or emotional harm directed against another person. Another bill heading to the Senate, House Bill 5, stipulates an organization failing to report known violations would be assessed a $10,000 fine and lose any public funds it receives. House Democrat Gregory Holloway of Hazelhurst serves on the Universities and Colleges Committee. He shares more with our Desiree Frazier. Hazen is a very, very serious uh, problem um, on college campuses and various organizations, band groups, uh, other individual organizations within uh, colleges and universities where people uh, make people do things against their will. Uh, to become a part of uh, the organization, a fraternity, a sorority, or what have you. Uh, I'm a fraternity member myself. Uh, I went through the, the uh, rigorous uh, training, if you will, to prepare to uh, uh, make it through uh, and become a member of a fraternity. Uh, I have not, I did not have to experience uh, hazing. But I do know it exists and it existed in various organizations on campus where people take it to the extreme. And uh, when they take it to the extreme, it becomes a very serious uh, problem. And then it's a situation where uh, it's a matter of life uh, and death. So it is a very, very serious problem on college campuses and universities and organizations that is. And it seems like uh, there's going to be some serious penalties. I saw where organizations would be fined $10,000 and would lose public funding that they receive. Yes, uh, you know, and that's really uh, a mild way to look at it. 
because uh, uh, people can can lose your you can lose your life uh, in these uh, uh, organizations and and um, trying to become a member uh, of some organization of fraternity or sorority. And I know part of um, I guess uh, the psychological need for people is the the need to belong to something, uh, but it's very you know sometimes it's not worth it. Uh, having to go through things like hazing. And so uh, I think that you have to start somewhere. You have to let people know that you're serious about uh, curtailing or eliminating uh, uh, this type of activity altogether. And I think that's just a start to, to try to remedy that condition. Do you happen to know if there was one particular incident that led to this bill? Uh, no, not one particular incident, but several, uh, incidents, um, all across the country. Hazing is a problem, not just in Mississippi, but, uh, in all of the states where you have colleges and universities and various organizations, whether they may be, uh, you know, private or public, uh, organizations where people have, uh, actually lost, uh, life. And, and uh, institutions have been sued, uh, and uh, people have um, have uh, been permanently damaged, uh, 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 permanently uh, became ill from uh, some of these uh, hazing incidences across the country. So, uh, not one particular, but a multitude of incidents kind of led to uh, bringing this legislation forward. The bill passed the House and it now goes to the Senate. Do you think it's going to pass the legislature? Well, I certainly hope so, Desiree. I hope they will look at it uh, the same way that we looked at it uh, to try to preserve uh, life and limb and and uh, to uh, you know create a situation, uh, an environment that's that's wholesome for students to to uh, be a part of uh, an organiz- organization or group. Uh, at a college or university or somewhere else, uh, I would hope that they would look at it the same way we do. Uh, maybe they may want to strengthen it somewhat. They, they, you know, I mean, that's part of the legislative process is compromise. They may look at it and say, well, you know, we need to do a little bit something uh, greater than what they did in the House. And so we welcome uh, uh, the compromise. And so I would certainly hope that they would do something to try to at least uh, initially address this problem because it's so pervasive all across the country. And you said it's a problem here in Mississippi. Have you gotten reports of cases? Uh, I haven't received any on my desk, but I have heard of uh, uh, incidents uh, across the state at various uh, institutions of higher learning. Uh, I have heard of them uh, uh you know, and we've they've been in the news. And uh, so uh, they're here. Um, it's a lot of it going on. It's a very serious situation. Uh, some um, colleges and universities have gone to the point where they've had to uh, eliminate these fraternity houses uh, where fraternities have their own housing facilities on uh, campuses across the the country. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really been a problem where uh, people have taken it to the extreme. And I think uh, hopefully that the Senate will see it, view this uh, piece of legislation as valuable uh, and very worthy 
of uh, what we need to be doing to try to make things safe for uh, our young people across this nation. Well, Representative Holloway, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this serious issue. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Under the measure, the College Board would have to create a hazing prevention policy for campus organizations and student orientations by August 1st of this year. According to the University of Dayton, 55% of students in college clubs, teams, and organizations experience hazing. Coming up, restoration of power across the state is nearly complete following last week's generational winter storm. We hear from Entergy Mississippi on the storm's impact and the recovery process. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Restoration of electrical services is nearly complete statewide following last week's severe winter storm. Plunging temperatures and heavy accumulations of ice caused caused down power lines and strains on the grid, resulting in widespread outages. Mara Hartman, spokesperson with Entergy Mississippi, says crews have been working 16-hour shifts for several days to repair damaged power lines, broken poles, and transformers. She recaps the recovery effort with our Kobe In the south and southwestern part of our territory, which had a lot of these outages, we've got a lot of rolling terrain, um, a lot of woods, and a lot of uh, even swamps down there. And a lot of our infrastructure is off-road. And that means you can't just pull your bucket bucket truck up to the pole on the side of the road. Rather, you have to have specialized equipment often that will get you off-road and you um, you have to get through some challenging areas sometimes to, to get to the source of the power outage or to the source of the damage. Um, in the urban areas, we also have some challenging terrain as well, you might say, particularly in Jackson and the capital city, because it's an older city, and we have some very old, much older neighborhoods here, um, the Bell Havens, Eastover, so on. Those, a lot of those neighborhoods have their power lines behind the homes. And so they're, you know, they're actually right in between the backs of people's houses where alleys used to be long ago. Um, and you can't get a, a, a power truck into there either. So you also have to have specialized derricks and equipment so you can get in that area. Sometimes the linemen have to uh, haul in all of the equipment by hand and climb the poles by hand themselves uh, to make those repairs. And so that certainly slows things down and and makes it a little more difficult. When it comes to uh, rural versus metro uh, restorations of power, um, in the metro area specifically, they've been dealing with a lot of water problems um, and then having boil water notices when a lot of people in Mississippi have electric power um, to to heat that water. Have y'all been focusing on those areas that do have those boil water notices at all? Well, that doesn't really factor into um, the restoration process. The restoration process is always the same, um, and it's the same for not just Energy Mississippi, but every utility in America. 
And what it is is when you have a widespread restoration from a storm or, or some kind of catastrophe, you first get on the water. <laughs> That's the most the water the water plants, I should say, not the water in individual people's houses. You get the water plants going again, um, even though that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to have water. You get that up. The very next thing you do is you get on other critical infrastructure, which are uh, the police, the fire departments, the media, so they can get information out to people, and so on and so forth. Then you concentrate on uh, the areas where you can restore the greatest number of customers, usually like a, a neighborhood that's densely populated, um, and and so on and so forth. And you work that until you get down really to typically the more rural areas where maybe you only have one or two houses on a circuit. And that's why sometimes those people who live in very rural areas are the last to be restored. On Friday, y'all mentioned a few things about you know your power uh, assessments and damage assessments. I was wondering if there's a you've had any updates on uh, what the extent of damage was that y'all faced. Oh yes, um, the damage to our equipment includes 147 broken poles, um, nearly 1,100 spans of wire down, and a span of wire measures about 250 to 300 feet in length. Um, we've had 46 damaged transformers. And that all takes time to repair. Um, under ideal circumstances, a crew can replace a broken pole in about three hours. Um, the number of broken poles found in this storm so far could take crews more than 430 hours to replace. Have you all noticed any uh, points that need to be, need to be addressed um, that might have failed in this instance that probably, you know, in other storms may have been fine? Um, that y'all found that, hey, we might want to address that and make sure that that is more robust for the next time we have some kind of winter storm, like what happened last week? Well, that kind of, that level of detail has, has not reached me yet. Um, it may have happened. Typically, though, when a storm like this happens, it's a function of the weight of that heavy ice coming down um, and bringing wires down and bringing tree limbs down. And, you know, you know it, that's going to affect your infrastructure, whether it's new or whether it's old, typically. Um, that's not to say they may not have run into some of those areas, but we work proactively all throughout the year to prepare for storms like this and to address those kinds of maybe weaknesses in the grid. One of the things we do is we have vegetation crews, and they work um, around around the clock all year long trimming trees on a cycle that lasts about four years. So we're always constantly trimming trees, um, trying to keep them out of our right-of-way, trying to keep them out of our power lines, and looking to identify what we call danger trees, and those are trees or limbs that are dead or dying that could fall and cause an outage. And we try to take care of that before it happens. Another thing we do is we use infrared sensors and, and various types of technology that also identify weaknesses in the grid at any time, any point in the year, and fix those as they are identified. Um, so that's that's basically a day-to-day -day thing. We're always working to proactively address issues with the grid. And for, for many years, we have been storm-hardening this grid. 
Energy Mississippi has also been working to modernize its grid a lot over the last few years. We've retired several older natural gas-fired power plants. We've bought new, more modern ones, most recently in Choctaw County. And we've also been diversifying and, and getting some into solar. We're about to uh, complete, hopefully, in early 22, one of the largest solar farms in Mississippi, in Sunflower County, in the Mississippi Delta. Mara Hartman is, spokes- is a spokesperson with Energy Mississippi. Mara, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kobe. Even with power mostly restored, many Mississippians are still experiencing lingering effects of the winter storm. More than 161,000 residents in Jackson remain under a boil water notice. And according to Mayor Shokwai Antar Lumumba, there is no running water in the southern and western parts of the city. Lumumba says the issues go beyond a few leaking pipes, saying the city needs to escalate water treatment and refill water tanks to improve pressure. The Department of Health is also reporting dozens of water systems across the state are under boil water notices, including systems in Greenville, Natchez, and Yazoo City. Coming up, the William Winter Institute continues its pursuit for racial reconciliation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's the first of its kind, a virtual StoryCorps mobile tour. For years, StoryCorps brought loved ones face-to-face for interviews about the things that matter most. Now, StoryCorps is bringing people together in a whole new way. Record an interview remotely and make it a part of American history at the Library of Congress. Appointments now open at storycorps.org. StoryCorps is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. When former Governor William Winter passed away late last year, he was remembered and revered by many of his colleagues for his endless pursuit of racial reconciliation in a state with a complex and often harrowing history of race relations. His namesake organization, the Winter Institute for Racial Reconciliation, is continuing that calling through commitment to youth and community. Von Gordon is the youth engagement manager for the Winter Institute. In part one of our conversation, he discusses the importance of empowering youth in search for reconciliation. We believe that, you know, investing in our young people, uh, helping them build strong relationships, uh, so that they grow into leaders for strong communities is really, really a fundamental part of this. So uh, reconciliation in this context, I mean, right now, uh, is about building relationships, um, having the kinds of conversations that allow us to understand uh, difference and different experiences. Uh, frankly, it is about more than just race. Uh, there have been many different uh, lines of division. Uh, some of them are naturally occurring, right, or, or ideological, but some of them have been created. I mean, race, for example, is a construct that has real you know, grave implications for us, but we, we need to spend the time and the energy uh, talking with each other, learning 
uh, academically and experientially uh, to better engage with our neighbors and our potential friends uh, in ways that really, you know, as we say, will allow us to, to work together, to live together, uh, and frankly, to prosper together. The year 2020, gosh, was a tough one. Tough one when you think about racial reconciliation. There were events that seemed to drive a deeper wedge between the races in this country. Let's start with uh, the murder of George Floyd, and uh, or his killing anyway, and Black Lives Matter protests that resulted across the country and, and into every state. How could that possibly have led to racial reconciliation? Mississippians know Emmett Till. The death of Emmett Till galvanized the young activist in, um, in Montgomery and other spaces who had, who had been working for a long time in, in, in a lot of different ways uh, to make their communities, their country, uh, a fairer country, a, a country that respected the dignity of every human being in it. Uh, in, in this way, we are hopefully being galvanized as citizens uh, through the tra- tragedy of, of George Floyd's death and, and all the others uh, to engage with each other and with our systems in the same way. Uh, so in that, yes, as, as hurtful as it was to watch the nine minutes almost uh, that we watched the life be choked out of him, as important as it is for us to, to grapple with that as human beings, I think it is equally important uh, for us to think about the role we as individuals play uh, in influencing our spheres of influence, uh, learning the things that we need to learn uh, to engage better and to be better. Um, it is just not okay anymore uh, to uh, to not know and make no effort uh, to learn. Mississippi took down the state flag, the battle emblem, the Confederate battle emblem on that flag, I think was a surprise to many, many Mississippians. What did that action, that decision mean towards steps toward reconciliation? You know, I think it is, uh, flags are symbolic, um, but as Governor Winter said uh, years ago, uh, a flag is something everybody should be able to take take pride in. Um, and, and, and by everybody, we really mean everybody. And it's aspirational. Uh, it was important. I, I commend our leaders uh, for uh, doing what leaders before them either had chose not to do or for whatever reason didn't think they were capable of doing. I think the members of the legislature who uh, many have toiled for a long time to see a change in the flag. I, I'm really grateful for the effort that they put into it, and, and especially the citizens who encouraged them, who made sure they knew that a new flag in line with with our values was what was necessary. In the in the last group, Ms. Karen, I think it wouldn't surprise you that I would say this, I think a great deal of credit goes to the young people uh, who organized the gathering, they stated at the rally here in Jackson that the changing of the flag was necessary. Uh, They demanded that. They demanded a a lot of other things, but they certainly demanded that at the top of their list. And I know that it uh, provided a little bit of uh, encouragement 
and uh, challenged some of our our state elected leaders to engage and make sure that, that we did not leave this moment in our history with that same symbol um, of the past flying above our heads. So it, it's significant. Um, drive around some of our neighborhoods, look at the, the stickers on the back of cars, uh, you know, go on Instagram or Facebook and, and see how many times you see the, the In God We Trust flag. Von Gordon is Youth Engagement Manager for the Winter Institute in part two of our conversation. For a lot of Mississippians who've grown up in poverty, they've not, they don't get to go to doctors uh, that they feel are a part of their community. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.